probably waited until the very last ring and I answered it. They were going over financials and everything. And I said, the only way I could get in is a sponsorship. I can't do it any other way. Talked to them all the way to the mall, hung up, went in, got the candles. And then I was going to meet my grandparents at Guitar Center. The whole way over there, I mean, it's only a six minute drive, probably from the mall. I was just praying, God, if you're real, show me you're real. Like if you're here, work this miracle in me because I have to do something. My grandparents were already in there and I was a mess. I sat my grandma down and I was just bawling and she kept trying to quiet me because there was a gentleman in there. I said, I don't care who hears, like I'm not gonna make it through the week. I have to do something. I, I said, can we take out a loan? Can we do something? Like, I won't let you down, I promise. And this gentleman walks up to me. He introduced himself and he said, I work at my time. Yeah, it's Steve, right? Steve, yeah. Good guy. Yeah, and I about fell to the floor. My grandparents were crying. It was just, it was, it was too crazy to be real, right? That three people in one day were from my time. And he was just on lunch break. His phone rang and he was like, oh, gotta go back to work. It was nice meeting you said, I'll, I'll try to talk to somebody and see what's going on. So I had left Guitar Center, and by the time I got to the freeway, which is maybe three blocks, I got a call saying I got a sponsorship. Welcome to Into Action, brought to you by Touchstone Recovery Center. This week, we're meeting with an alumni, Amy D. We've had one other alumni on. It was Kenny, who's now also on staff. Um, I'm really excited to talk to Amy today. She's got a really good story. I know that when she came into to the frame for Touchstone Recovery Center, it was it was like a, a really cool moment. And um, the fact that the stars aligned and we got her into treatment and that she's sitting here sober today, it's like it's it's in, inspiring to me and my staff. We know that, you know, this actually does work and there's people that really need treatment and that get a lot out of it and it changes their lives. And, you know, in this field, there's so many instances where people relapse or where, you know, the first time around doesn't take and it maybe people are against the 12 steps or against going to treatment in, in the first place. You know, I, I love to see when somebody starts and they're like full speed ahead and they just take the bull by the horns and they and they go for it. And Amy's done just that. Um, how are you, Amy? I'm doing well. How are you, Nolan? I'm doing good. Thanks. So I know over the last few months, we've we've got to know each other a little bit. I know you know my the counselors here a lot better than you know me. So why don't you tell me a little bit about like how your addiction started and, and where it got you? Started drinking about 15, 16 years old when I had my first boyfriend. Um, I was always the one to make the parties, right? I was always the one to invite the people over and and have the fun and everyone bring alcohol, I'll provide the place, right? And mm -hmm. um, it was just kid stuff at, at first, you know? Um, but then it got to the point where I couldn't go anywhere without having a drink or I couldn't go anywhere unless I was high. Um, the anxiety, the traumas, all of that just built up so much that I couldn't, I couldn't enjoy life without having some mind altering substance yeah. inside me. Um, it wasn't until my sister was killed two years ago that um, I really, really got bad. Um, I 
I used it to numb and mask my whole life. Mm-hmm. And um, there was times where I didn't want to live. Um, but this was one of the biggest times where I was just done. Everything I tried wasn't satisfying. I was just finished. And so I drowned myself in as much as I could possibly do. And I, it got to the point where if I didn't get accepted here, I probably wouldn't have made it through that week. Hmm. I, I know a lot of us mask our emotions, mask our, our traumas with, with substance abuse. Like, I mean, we're self-medicating really. Right. And for a long time, it, it works. Like we will drink, we'll use whatever we're using and we feel better momentarily but the next day, you know, it, it's like it, it it increases our anxiety. It increases our depression. Absolutely. Um, so we just mask it again, right? Yep. And then we do it again and then again. And then before we know it, we're divorced and we're homeless and we're suicidal. And yep. yeah, so it, it gets that way pretty quick. Very um, quickly. Yeah. So how old were you when you first started using drugs? I was about 17. I started smoking weed. Yeah. Um, about... 21 whenever I started lighting Christmas trees right and that type of thing and um it wasn't until my sister when I started using anything I could get my hands on I guess we how long ago was it that you started treatment at Touchstone uh it was February 28th oh look at that the date yeah that's awesome so what's your sobriety date uh I made it March 1st so it was easy for me to remember. And also because that's the first day that I felt good. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was a few days after I was in residential and I changed it, I think, two times. They said, OK, you have to pick one. And I said, <laughs> well, today I feel the best. So I'm going to pick today. Yeah. And it's easy to remember and count. So tell me about your experience at, at residential. Oh, that was it was intense. Um I have never been a vulnerable person. I I don't cry in front of people. Um, crying's a weakness, you know, having feelings is a weakness. And there, I just broke all these walls, you know. Um, I, I got addicted to wanting to break down a new wall every day. Um, I learned to pray better, I learned to meditate, I learned um, so many coping skills that I still use today. Yeah. And uh, also having that pure support and genuine care from the staff was incredible. Um, yeah. I didn't want to leave, <laughs> you know, I wanted to leave to go to my next step, but I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay. And uh, it was just, it was wonderful. So you were there with, I know Yannick is the program manager there. Mm-hmm. Um did you enjoy like the group sessions, the one-on-ones, or what? did you have like something that stood out to you? I really enjoyed the group sessions when yeah. everybody was sharing in the circle. Um, I felt like it was the most vulnerable time for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then anytime we had a meal, we were all together. And that was really awesome because I, I wasn't raised that way. The only time we had a meal together is with my grandparents. You know, we'd always sit down at the table and everyone stayed at the table, right? The rest of it, we'd eat on the couch or in the room or wherever. So it was really nice to be able to sit and eat and laugh. And who cares if your face is messy? You know, it it was just awesome. And then playing games and puzzles. We did that a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it's I think it's necessary for I know it was for me to like totally get removed from my day to day in order to 
really be safe and mm-hmm. like feel like, okay, it's not an option for me to use today. So let's see, let's see what else I can do. Absolutely. And like, I know in, in residential treatment, a lot of us get to know ourselves and we get to know like what our goals are. And we, we kind of relearn who we are mm-hmm. because we, most of the time, by the time we get to residential treatment, we've been using or drinking for months, years, decades sometimes. Yep. So it um, was the first time I felt free. Yeah. 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 So do, do you feel like a, a different version of you came out or is it just like a. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, now I don't have to worry about what the next day is going to look like. I don't have to please people. I don't have to, um, always find something to make me happy. I could just be happy. And even when I'm not, like if I'm sad or depressed, I know it's going to be okay. And I'll share my feelings with people. I never did that before. You know, I'll say, hey, I'm feeling super depressed and my self-talk is terrible, but I'm all right. Yeah. You know, it's and and I would have never done that before. When you got to outpatient, I know because you you didn't go to a sober living, you went to a a family member's house, right? That you had a safe place to stay. I was in a sober living for a week. Oh, you were? Yeah. Okay. And it, it just wasn't right for me. So okay. I went to my grandparents' house. Gotcha. Yeah. And so while you were coming to outpatient, um, what was that like? I know a lot of times when people step down from residential treatment to outpatient, they're really nervous and they, you're reintroduced to all these triggers and you're running into people you used to use with and you have liquor stores on every corner. So like, was it the skills that you learned in inpatient that helped you through that? Was it the accountability of being an outpatient treatment, maybe a combo of both? Like how, how did you stay on track? It was definitely a combo of both. Um, I was very nervous coming into a big group Mm -hmm. and my first day, somebody actually barked at me and I used my assertiveness nicely. Right. Which I had never done before. And I walked up to him and we confronted each other. And, uh, you know, each day within a week, I was comfortable. Cool. Um, but definitely without those coping skills, I would have ran. I'm a runner. You know, I run from everything. I can relate. Yeah. yeah. You were in outpatient with us for over three months, right? Mm-hmm. So t- just tell me about that experience. How did it differ from inpatient? What did you take from it? Um. Inpatient is very um, small, so Mm -hmm. it's very intimate. Um, You get to know each person that's in there, and you—it's your first family from being an addict, right? From having chaos. That's your first family, and I feel like whenever I came here, it was an even bigger family, and you still had that same love and care that you had in inpatient. Just outpatient was a lot more. Um, we still had the same type of groups. We had, um, it was, it was beautiful because you learned so many more stories. Um, you could relate to so much more, to so many more people. And you see that, okay, well, me and these five people are not the only ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I built a community. Yeah. So since you graduated, which it's been about a month now, right? At least. Yeah. Yeah. So since you graduated, um, how do you stay sober? What's like your routine? What do you do? 
Um, I wake up in the mornings and I, I have a couple of devotionals that I read. Um, I always dive into my big book. I have my sponsor. I have, I call her every single day. At first it was like, you have to call me every day. And then after the 30 days, mm -hmm. I said, can I just keep calling you every day? Cause I love talking to you. Um, I paint a lot. Um, I go I've to my meetings on Facebook. I've yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't think I was that great at it. And then people started wanting to buy my paintings and I was, I was like, you know, <laughs> so, um, just really working the program. If, if I wasn't working the program, I'd be laying in my room moping and watching TV and falling back into my old stuff. Yeah. So I know, I know when I got sober, um, it created some conflict, like, you know, we don't just get clean and sober and then everything's rainbows and butterflies and like life is perfect. A lot of times like changing the way that we're living our lives, it causes conflict. And I know it did for me with some family members mm -hmm. that maybe are still in their addiction or maybe are holding on to resentment because I was such a jerk for so long. Right. So um, it's and I mean, I've been sober years now and I still have that conflict with within my family there's some old friends of mine that, you know, it, the relationship is kind of ruined. And I, I think it's better now that I'm sober because it's honest. Right. And like, I kind of know where we're at. Um, but at the same time, it's it can be difficult, especially with like people we love. Mm -hmm. So how is, have you had any conflict in your relationships with family members, with friends, any anything that, that Most you're definitely. navigating? Yeah. Yeah. Um it's funny that some of the closest people to you, the ones that say they love you, um, are the least supportive. Um, I was a people, pe people pleaser. Mm -hmm. I still am. It's a character defect that I'm working on daily, you know? Um, and I had to put up boundaries and that was the hardest part because, um, everybody's used to seeing, for instance, me, when I get upset, I fly off the handle. Um, I spit venom. It's going to be my way because I'm right. Mm -hmm. And now I'm putting up healthy boundaries and I'm setting these, these boundaries because I don't want these expectations. Right. And, um, in a way it is selfish. I have to be selfish to stay sober Yeah. and, um, others don't like that. And so they, I have had family members battle me through this whole thing. Um, and I have had family members who are a thousand percent like supportive. Um, I really haven't lost many friends. The ones that I did use with or drink with, they they're very respectful. They respect my sobriety. Um, but yeah, it's definitely hard. Yeah, it's hard because those are the people that you love. Um, I think it was Dr. Battle who said it doesn't matter how good you are. If you drive through McDonald's asking for a pizza, they're not going to give you that pizza. And you could do everything to be good and come back the next day and ask for a pizza and all they're going to give you is soggy french fries. And it's totally true. It's totally true. I think uh, a lot of times with family, it's it's tough to mend those relationships because, like you said, they they are the ones that love us and are supposed to love us the most. But we spent at least I spent so long like manipulating and tarnishing that relationship. And 
I, I mean, I know I would use people's love against them, not like intentionally. It's not like I woke up in the morning saying, I'm going to manipulate my mom today and get her to give me 500 bucks so I can go spec, like score a bag of dope. But in the end, by the end of the day, I probably had done that. And I, like the way that I would do that was by using the love that they had for me against them, you right. know? Um, so I, I think, I guess what I'm getting at is a lot of times it makes our families and it makes people that we've been close to scared to give us that love again. Definitely. And it, it like, it, it's, it's a long road to mending those relationships. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a long road and I know like I'm with my mom, that's not the case. She like never stopped being supportive, but there are some, some family members that, you know, they keep me at arm's length because right. they're just waiting for the other ball to drop. You know, is that, is that what it's, the saying is yeah. the other ball to drop? I think so. The other foot to drop something like that, <laughs> but they, they're like expecting me to screw it all up and, you know, I can't blame them because right. I did it for yeah. so freaking long. We have to give them that grace. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, I, I guess I'm encouraging you to trying to encourage you to be patient with, with some of them, but at, at the same time, you got to be selfish. Like you said, like do what's best for you. And, um, instead of like, I know my sponsor told me once, he said, um, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? So like, because a lot of times I, I would spend a lot of time and a lot of effort to like prove my point to people and say, right. this is the way it should be because X, Y, and Z. And um, my, my sponsor would like encourage me to just, just let them have their opinion, have your own opinion. That way you're both happy. Yeah, like I you, definitely relate yeah. to that very, yeah. very much. So do you have a sponsor? I do. Okay. Yes. How, how often do you talk to them? Every single day. Do you? Yep. Good and job. we meet once a week. Cool. Technically twice because she goes to my church too. Oh, cool. So, um, yeah, we're very in tune with each other, which is awesome. Are you guys working the steps? Yes. Cool. Yeah. I know I, I subscribe to the 12 steps myself, and I know, like, it's changed. Not only does it help keep us sober, but it the 12 steps for me have, have like, changed the way that I look at life and the way that I handle relationships and the way that we handle conflict. It's, it's, it's not just a, it's like, it's a way to live better. It's not just a way to live clean and sober. You know, I agree. Yeah. Um, so you, you said you, you um, see your sponsor at church as well. So mm -hmm. is, is a higher power, like spirituality, a big part of your recovery as well? It's a huge part of my recovery. Um, I started going to church when I was 12, just because I wanted to go to church. Mm -hmm. My grandparents, they talked about Jesus a lot. And you know, you got to do the right things and the Ten Commandments, but we didn't really go to church or anything like that. Um, the Bible wasn't read to me. And for some reason, I just had this connection. I had to go to church. And so they started taking me every Sunday and Wednesday. And um, I thought I was living, you know, for God and this faithful step in, or walk in life, right? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't fully giving my faith over to him. I wasn't fully giving my life. And um, it took a lot for me to see that. In a way, he proved that to me by how I got into here. It all started at church. And um, I hadn't been to church in almost two years. I had my sister's funeral there, and then I never went back. And my 11-year-old, he said, Mom, I really want to go to church. He bugged me for weeks. 
So finally I took him and in my head, I had texted one of my best friends and he was going to watch him and I was going to drop him off. And then I would come back for him because I didn't want to set foot in that church. And, um, of course I was, I was smoking weed and I was high and I said, you know what, I'm not going to make you go in there alone, you know? And he said, it's okay, mom, it's okay. And I said, no, I'm going to go with you. So I did. Um, my pastor confronted me and he said, you don't look okay. What's going on? And so I just spilled it all to him. Mm -hmm. And that's when I met my sponsor. Um, he took me in the middle of service and took me over to her. She gave me her phone number and everything. And she said, um, contact me anytime, just not in a 24 hour period if you've used anything. So she tried to get a hold of me throughout the week and I was like, oh, no, I'm using again. I can't. Um, the next Sunday comes around and I had been clean two days and um, I went up to her and I, I cried the whole service. I mean, I've never cried so hard. And I just said, I'm, I'm done. I surrender. I can't do this anymore. And I went up to her and I said the same thing. Um, a year ago before then, I had contacted you actually mm -hmm. and got some information about Touchstone. And I tried to get some of my family members to help me get in and everything, but they couldn't. Um, and it was the one place I wanted to go. I know there's tons of places around, but I said, no, I have to go to Touchstone. Hmm. If I'm going to get better, I have to go to Touchstone. And I was adamant on it. Um, Did you know someone that had gone here? Or was it just like a feeling you had? I just researched. I At that time a year ago, I, I just I was looking at all the different recovery places. And for some reason, this one was just at the top of my list the whole time. And, and I don't know why. I just, I was very stubborn. I said, I have to go to Touchstone. And so Jill works at my time and she said, okay, I'm going to go to work tomorrow and I'll talk to a couple of people. And I said, I, I can't afford it. You know, I, there has to be something. I won't let anyone down. Just give me this chance. Um, and so she went to work and she called me on Monday and, uh, I was going to the mall to pick up candles for my grandma and I saw her call. She had texted me before. I want to sit down with you and somebody else or I want to sit down with somebody else and have you on speaker and we talk to you. And I didn't write her back. And, and then she called and I probably waited until the very last ring and I answered it. And um, it was her and another lady from my time and they were going over financials and everything. And I said, the only way I could get in is a sponsorship. Mm -hmm. I can't do it any other way. Um, I talked to them all the way to the mall, hung up, went in, got the candles, and then I was going to meet my grandparents at Guitar Center. Um, the whole way over there, I mean, it's only a six-minute drive probably from the mall. I was just praying, God, if you're real, show me you're real. Like, if you're here, work this miracle in me because I have to do something. And um, I went into Guitar Center, into the little acoustic room, and my grandparents were already in there, and I was a mess. I sat my grandma down and I was just bawling and she kept trying to quiet me because there was a gentleman in there. And I said, I don't care who hears. Like, I'm not going to make it through the week. I have to do something. I, I said, can we take out a loan? Can we do something? Like, I won't let you down. I promise. And this gentleman walks up to me and he introduces himself or no, at first he asked me what my name was. And I said, I'm Amy. I'm so sorry to be like this in public. And he said, that's okay. 
he introduced himself and he said, I work at my time. Yeah, it's Steve, right? Steve, yeah. Good guy. Yeah, and I about fell to the floor. My grandparents were crying. It was just, it was, it was too crazy to be real, right? That three people in one day were from my time. And he was just on lunch break. His phone rang and he was like, oh, got to go back to work. It was nice meeting you. I said, I'll, I'll try to talk to somebody and see what's going on. So I had left Guitar Center. And by the time I got to the freeway, which is maybe three blocks, I got a call saying I got a sponsorship. And yep. it was just incredible. I heard that story from one of the owners. His name's Scotty. Yeah. Who, like, he's got a really big heart. He's a, one of the main reasons that I work here is okay. because... Like the the owners, both of them, Dr. Tatum and Scotty Sample, they they're really good people, and like they're in this for the right reasons. They they let us scholarship people when it's appropriate and when we're able to. And I I'm I'm really proud. Like since we've opened or since I became a part of Touchstone, it's been about three years now. Um, we always have a scholarship. Always, there's always someone either in residential or in outpatient or you know, we always have one in our program, at least. And that's because there's there so many people that don't have access to treatment. They don't have private insurance or money or, I mean, I know I didn't when I was yeah. using, I didn't, I didn't have either of those things. Um, so like in order to get into treatment, it's, there's so many barriers. And if we can remove one of the biggest ones, I know Scotty is quick to do that. Is if someone is willing, like, you know, if if someone on on his staff calls him and says, I just met this young lady at Guitar Center and she was bawling, saying she needs help. You know, he's not he's like, OK, let's help her. You it know? was definitely a blessing. Yeah, that's, it was a when when Scotty told me the story and then had us contact you to get you in. I, I was like, heck, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> it's 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 really cool to work for people that have that heart, you know, that really want to help. Yes. So, yeah, it was it was definitely a God shot. It was 100 yeah. yeah. percent. Yeah. Steve's a good he's a really good counselor at my time. The guy you ran into. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I know coming from him, it'll it would carry a lot of weight. So what a blessing that that you you got in you because you were in what a day or two later. Right. It didn't take that long. No, it didn't take long. That was Monday. And I went into residential on Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was cool. It was think, very quick. <laughs> and just look like. That was what ninety or maybe seventy uh, something days ago. How long was it? A hundred and six oh, days. <laughs> I can't count very well. A hundred and six days ago, and yep. look at the change. It's incredible. Yeah. I didn't think I could ever be to this point, yeah. ever. Well, congratulations. Thank you. I, I know, you know, coming into treatment and like just sitting in these rooms and meeting with the counselor that that doesn't get you well. Right. You know, it's all about what you do and like the effort you put into it and what you're willing to sacrifice. And I know um, if a person isn't willing to actually change, you know, change their circles that they run in, change their daily habits, nothing, nothing's going to come of this. You know, they, they have to be desperate. And you definitely had that gift of desperation. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm really glad that you came on and shared your story. Thank you. Um, and thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming. We, we love you at Touchstone. I love being at Touchstone and I love you guys. <laughs> love you too.